All right, hello and welcome. We are um, joined with Logan Dixon and uh, Reverend Becky Zardi uh, this week. Uh, we're glad to have Logan back with us. He had been sick uh, this past week and we've been praying for him. And so he's the writer for this lesson uh, today. So we get a special treat from hearing him. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to let you know about uh, upcoming service. So we're having uh, Nathan Wheeler and um, Paul Rack Rackley. Uh, has put together what they're calling the Christmas Eve Eve service. And it's going to be a Zoom Christmas Eve Eve service on December 23rd. It's going to incorporate uh, many different areas of the church. And when I say areas, I mean mission fields and, and, and local churches, all um, giving of their talent to celebrate uh, the coming of Christ. And so I would say get on Facebook. You can find out information and sign up for it. Um, on some Facebook posts, I know, and then also at the website at cpcmc.org. Um, and so, encourage you to do so. Also, remember the Cumberland Road from um, Reverend T.J. Malinowski. That, have, that uh, drops every Tuesday. Uh, I think probably by the time you hear this, Logan had been the previous guest, I believe, is how that's going to work. And I know uh, Rebecca was on there a month or so ago. So uh -huh, uh -huh. obviously TJ has a site for talent. And so ah. we encourage you, you can get that on any, any of the big podcast uh, platforms. Uh, just type in the Cumberland road. All right. We save the best for last. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. So we're talking about, um, the third lesson is going to be for the December 20th. It's the last Sunday before Christmas. And uh, we're going to title the lesson. It's from Luke chapter 1. There's something about Mary. And so it's going to be Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 45, but also 46 through 56 is the, is the context there. So I'm going to start with this prayer for illumination. And then um, we're going to get started going through this lesson that Logan wrote for us. So. Living God, help us to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that in understanding we may believe, and that by believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And before we get too big into it, let me go ahead and read the memory verse. So it's Luke chapter 1, 41 through 42. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. All right, so um, I think I'm going to let uh, Becky take over on this introduction part because she, uh, she, was, she was enthralled. She loved the introduction, and so I'm going to let her I ask. Really Logan. Well, let me ask it. Let me, let me first let Logan have a, just a second yeah. just to say, uh, when you were writing this lesson, what, what is it that you hope people get? From this lesson. Well, here's what I really, really want. I want people to not dismiss this as, you know, just one of those random, just as a supernatural occurrence that, that didn't actually happen, that was just in, just, just recorded in a supernatural way, because we have a tendency to dismiss things that are miraculous or supernatural in scripture. Uh, we have a tendency to just think, well, the apostles were trying to liven things up, or maybe someone was taking shrooms or something like that. Right. Uh, <laughs> we don't, you know, I, I mean, I've actually heard that theory before. Um, but 
you know, we can't, I don't, I don't feel like we can just dismiss things like this in the Bible. I think we really have to consider them and we have to consider why God gave these things to us. Um, and so I really want people to, to read the text and understand, okay, this is what God is saying. What does it mean for my life? What does it mean that God wants me to know this story about, about the blessed Virgin Mary? What does God want me to get out of this? And, and what is the gospel? What is the good news for, for humanity in all of this? Um, and so that's really what I want people to get. My favorite thing, and I remember hearing this from some, there was some theologian, um, and he said a, a lot of times modern people will dismiss things like the virgin birth because, you know, 2,000 years ago, people weren't scientifically advanced as, as we are. And he said, no, nobody had a virgin, no virgin had a baby ever in the history of the world. It's not that they were, no, this didn't happen. So the reason writing it, it's not as though they're trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes. They really mean this happened. <laughs> and it's right. A, and it's a godsend. It's a, it's a miracle. Yeah. Anyway. All right, Becky, I'm going to let you take over on that. All right. Well, again, welcome, everybody. Um, quick shout out. If you're getting your encounter, stop by the CP store, get you some CP swag, too, as well. Logan, I yes. loved this opener. I absolutely loved the story that you had here about the quantum entanglement. I thought that was fascinating that you use that in conjunction with um, Elizabeth and Mary and when they met that the, the baby in their womb lapped. I mean, just that was, that was a great opener. And then you started us off in this study with this beautiful question that I think is really applicable to everyone, no matter what walk of life you're in. You said, in what areas of your life are you responding to God with faithfulness and trust? Ooh, that one is a deep question because I think each one of us can honestly say in regards to the story of Mary's just beautiful and humble appreciation for being God's servant, that she was faithful and she trusted the, the angel that came to her and, and proclaimed this beautiful message to her. But then you apply that to us personally and ouch, that kind of hurts because I can't honestly say I've always been as faithful as, as Mary has. And then you ask us, you know, where are we responding and in what areas are we withholding those things from God? And what a great question to start with. Um, I hope that, that people that are watching this and that are discussing this in their class really honestly answer this because this changes with our maturity and this changes with our walk. There are times in my life that I thought I really trusted God in everything and every aspect. And then I recognize maybe not so much, maybe, you know, I need to change. And then using that in conjunction with the story of Mary and Elizabeth, um, I really appreciated that you had these two women who were faithful to what God told them and trusted in what God had to say, even in the time when they would have been persecuted um, or questioned, you know, I mean, Elizabeth, you're how old? Really? Hmm. 
I'm going to think about that one, you know? Well, it, you know, it's, it's really interesting that uh, Mary and Elizabeth get pregnant at the same time, both under um, auspicious circumstances. Mm-hmm. And um, the, I think, and I think one of the reasons that God did this was because the way that you prove things by the Old Testament was that there had to be two or three witnesses. And mm, so yeah. by the word of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And now, so you've got two witnesses to God doing miraculous things in a new age. You've got Elizabeth, who is pregnant at the age of probably 88, according to some scholars. And you've got Mary, who's probably barely a teenager, and she has not had sexual intercourse with a man. She's she's a virgin, and she's about to give birth to the Son of God. And so mm. you've got two witnesses who are saying, listen, God is doing something. Mm. And uh, you were talking about the... Uh, you were talking about the the question at the beginning of the of the lesson. You know, theology is nice, but sometimes whenever you read the Bible and take it seriously, it, it you you tend to run up against some intense lines of questioning. Whenever you really try to understand what it means for your life, and so yeah. in in answering in what areas are of, are you withholding these things from God? We've all got areas in our lives where we're withholding trust from God for something for some reason. Um, simply because um, there's a part of us that wants to run away. There's a part of us that wants to hide. There's a part of us that wants to just stay in our rooms and never come out because mm-hmm. we, we really don't know. We really don't know if God's going to provide the way we think he should or the way we want him to, or even the way that a father would provide for their children. Mm-hmm. We don't trust him to be a father. Um, and that, and there's a lot of reasons for mistrust. It could be that we had heaven, we, it could be that we had earthly fathers who failed us. It could be that we're new in the faith. It could be, you know, there's a lot of different reasons as to why we might not trust God. We all have those areas where we need to surrender to God fully, and we mm-hmm. don't, and we know we should. And it's something that the Holy Spirit's going to have to deal with us over. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's good. Um, there's a C.S. Lewis line that God wants all of you, not part of you, not, you know, the half-hearted heat. God wants everything about you. And so I think that that's the uh, journey of sanctification, and it's the journey of the Christian life, is that ever-changing from one image, you know, of, of Christ to another and becoming more trustful, becoming more like Christ and so on. Um, before we get on, I think, uh, Becky, did you bring up a quote from uh, Logan uses from Pastor uh, Zach Van Dyke? Um yeah, um, he says here in the Greek, the word wondered means is that did I say that right? Wondered, yeah. wondered means literally to logic through something, to rationally think, to analyze. And you were you were saying that in regards to Mary and the words that were spoken to her by the angel Gabriel, that that Mary was really trying to logic reason her way through what it was that that Gabriel was saying can you kind of throw some more out because that was a really great quote well let me ask this before you jump in because I'm curious when when he said the Greek word wondered I, I'm sorry I didn't see it is this where is this the uh and she treasured these things in her heart is that the, yes okay all right gotcha 
Yeah, this is this is where she's this is where she's really thinking about everything that just happened. An angel came to her, said, you know, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. And angel gives this big announcement. And now she's thinking about everything. And I think that's important for us to 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 understand about Mary's reaction is she doesn't just take it blindly. She's really pondering these things. And um <clears throat> Christianity is not a religion where you have to check your hat at the door when you check your brain at the door when you walk in on Sunday morning. You can really, you you really should think you should be engaged uh, throughout the entire worship service. You should be engaged throughout your entire Christian life, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And because God gave you a mind, and he, I think He expects you to use it. Absolutely. And that kind of falls into the, the another sentence that you used in that same paragraph. You said our faith isn't blind faith. It's faith that sees through to know that God is at work. And when, when I read this, I was like, oh man, that is such a good line because that really comes with maturity with the walk. We were kind of talking before we started recording how that reminded me of an inverted bell curve that, you know, when we first come to Christ, our faith is just like, like way up there. We're so excited. We're so excited about what God's doing. And we see God everywhere doing everything. And our faith is just off the charts. You know I mean? It's like you get a good parking spot at Walmart. Yay, God, you know, you're so awesome. And then after a while, when things come up against us, it's kind of like that kind of weans down a little bit. And we start questioning and wondering logicing through our life and how God's working in it. But then as we mature and recognize who Jesus is and how he's working in our life, you know, we kind of come back up to that point again, where we're like, yeah, you know, God is still working. God is still doing some awesome stuff. Maybe we don't recognize it like we did before, but it's not that he's not there. He's still working in our lives. I loved that line. (laughs) I'd like to point out, I think, piggybacking on that, on that. Uh, if our worship services become too experiential or just, uh, you know, uh, the spiritual high driven, uh, yeah. I think we lose sight of this logic thinking, this wondering and this treasuring in our hearts. And so I do think that a good worship service does lift us up to an experience, but then it pushes us to logically think about that experience throughout the week. Right. I mean, mm. put the liturgy Absolutely. into a lot. I mean, think of treasure it, put it, put it up here and yeah. think about it throughout the week. That's, we chew on it, treasure it, whatever you want to use. So I like that word that, or that sense that logic, you know, logic through. I, that's good. Good stuff. Well, I think, I think uh, we have a big problem in our, in some of our smaller churches where we go into a worship service and we do, we have the same liturgy or we have the same pattern of worship every week. And it's, it's so common to us that, that, you know, we just respond automatically with our bodies and with our motions, and our minds are not engaged. We stand when we're supposed to stand. We sing when we're supposed to sing, and then we hear the sermon, and we get out of there and go to lunch, and that's not how a worship service is supposed to work. You're supposed to be learning and stay mentally engaged from the call mm-hmm. to worship to the benediction. You're supposed you know, the even the songs you sing are supposed to teach you things about God. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. and I don't think we and, and we we've, we've sing the same hymns over and over again so much that I don't think we understand that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 a true thing, and that's a trap. 
on any church services when things become real. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I do I do appreciate that. Y'all have anything else you want to hit on on that uh, introduction section before we move on to? There was one other sentence in there, and in, in in regards to Mary, you say she brings nothing to her resume other than her availability and willingness to serve, and I think that is such a key point for all of us, whether we're serving in a pastoral role or whatever position God has called you to in life. It is that availability and willingness to serve. Uh, to be a part of that family, to continue to learn, to continue to grow and develop as a human being, as a follower of Jesus, uh, that is that is such key to how we mature as individuals and how our relationship with Christ changes. So that was really that was really good in that. Sure. You know, whenever you encounter the gospel for the first time, it doesn't matter if you hear the gospel if you, for the first time if you dropped into a church service or if you were raised within a Christian home and heard the gospel all your life. Regardless of how you heard the gospel for the first time, the, the, the challenge or the message that it brings with it is, okay, this is what God is doing. Now mm-hmm. are you on board? And it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. Amen. The only, you know, the only, the only thing God is looking for is, are you ready to under, are you ready to receive what God is doing? Are you ready to yes. participate in what God is doing? Yes. That's very good. Amen. Amen. Um, all right. So then we're going to switch on to the exploring the scripture section. Uh, and I think I'm going to just throw a thought out there. I really like the fact that you brought up that there was a sense of silence that, uh, people had not received. Um, we're talk about this. It's not that they hadn't received something from God. It's just there was no written, no, none of that uh, mount. You know, there's not that. Thus saith the Lord written down in the Scripture passed on. But I'll let uh, I'll let y'all two talk about that. But I did I did like the thought of that. Well, let me just start off by saying um, I get really uncomfortable talking about the 400 years of silence. Because I know personally for me that it means that it's a, it's a time when God did not inspire the writing of Scripture. But the phrase 400 years of silence gives the idea that God wasn't speaking and wasn't acting and wasn't moving during the time between the Old and New Testament, and that's just not true. Uh, God was still at work among his covenant community. God was still at work among his people. Um, and you can read about kind of what God was doing in the book, in the apocryphal books that we typically don't have in our, in our Protestant Bibles. Uh, you can read about what God was doing in the apocrypha, even though we wouldn't consider that scripture. Um, mm-hmm. And the only thing, the only thing is, is we, we wouldn't consider that scripture because God wasn't inspiring people to write during that time. God wasn't inspiring people to speak on a grand scale like um, Isaiah and Jeremiah and the prophets of old were, uh, they really were left without a major prophet from the time of Malachi up until John uh-huh. the Baptist. And uh, th- and that's another interesting situation too, is um, think about the question, think about the list of Old Testament prophets, just off the top of your head, think about who some of those Old Testament prophets were. Now, does the name John the Baptist come to your mind? 
it doesn't because no <laughs> because I wrote yeah. an encounter lesson about Elijah. Yes, it does. <laughs> 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 so right, so John the Baptist, um, John the Baptist is actually an Old Testament prophet. He's the last Old Testament prophet because he was mm. he was the last prophet who came along before Jesus went to the cross and before we get the uh, before we get the blessings of the uh I, I hate to say new covenant because we're a one covenant people but you understand what i mean mm-hmm. he's the he's the last prophet to come along during that time um and so the 400 years of silence are just a time when god wasn't inspiring the writing of anything but mm-hmm. he was still at work there were still prophets there were still prophetesses as we see um in anna she was a prophetess Mm -hmm. she heard from god she spoke for god to certain people and to certain communities and Mm -hmm. she was confirmed as someone who had that gift of prophecy Mm -hmm. and i think when we were talking before you you also put that in the context of today sometimes even we feel that god is silent in our lives and and maybe recognizing that God wasn't completely silent during that 400 years. Like you said, it wasn't, we just didn't have any major prophets that were any inspired writing during that time period. And sometimes we feel like God is silent today. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, looking at what's going on in the world around us between the, the pandemic and all of the insanity that has turned into 2020 um, you know, all of the, the economic upheaval, the racial upheaval. I mean, we could just go on and on and on about all the stuff that's going on. We have people that think God's silent now that he's being quiet. And that's just not the case. That's just not true. That God is still working through us if we're, if we're willing to listen. Okay. Hmm. Can I, so one of my favorite memes, I'm a meme person, if y'all like <laughs> love them. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite ones, I think it's The Rock and then some actress in the back of the car. The Rock is driving and he says, I wish God would speak to me. And the lady in the back says, read your Bible. And he said, no, I wish God would speak to me out loud. And the lady's response was, read the Bible out loud. <laughs> God is still speaking, right? I mean, yes, he speaks through his word and we're transformed through the through the in taking and ingesting and, and the Holy Spirit applying the, the word. And, and maybe, anyway, it's one of my favorite memes ever, and it's worth looking at. <laughs> and so true. So true that God is still working. It's just, we need to be listening. We need to be listening to what he's directing us to. And that means that we need to be reading the scripture sure. and really diving into what he has to tell us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Could we have another um, another thought on that section? Um, I'm good. Okay. Yeah. That's what we got on there. So that leads us then to our uh, digging deeper. Uh, mm-hmm. And so um, I'm going to let y'all have it. I know we when we got together before we got on here, we wanted to talk about barrenness. Uh, and what that looks like today or, or whatnot, but there might be some other stuff that y'all wanted to highlight or Logan, is there something you wanted to highlight? Well, just mostly the idea of barrenness, because whenever you 
the, the start of the, the start of the digging deeper section says, as we look at the whole story of Mary and Elizabeth, we will not be hard pressed to find similar stories throughout the Old Testament. There are many instances where women were infertile and then God miraculously allowed them to have children who would be a blessing to their families. And so, you know, of course, you get into the different as you think about that, you get into the different examples, uh, one of them being Hannah from from the book of First Samuel. And you see this this theme of infertility sometimes among women who they want to be a blessing to their families because at that time, at that time, biblically speaking, the Jews believed and rightly so that children were a blessing from the Lord. Uh, Psalm, uh, one of the Psalms, I think it's Psalm one twenty seven and verse three. It says, "Children are a heritage from the Lord," and so we rightly we rightly believe that children are a blessing. But on the inverse of that, there were some people during that time in history who believed that if you didn't have children, then God had a curse on you and had a curse on your line. And so if you were a woman who could not give birth, then you were as good as cursed. And Mm -hmm. that caused a lot of, that caused a lot of complications among your relationships. Sometimes it caused strife in your marriage. Many times it caused strife in your relationships with other women. And so um, we find many times that women were barren and then God miraculously opened their womb particularly in the story of Hannah, and then particularly in the story of Elizabeth. And then Mary, she wasn't infertile, but she was very young. And mm-hmm. she hasn't, and she, and again, she hadn't even had intercourse with, with a male. So, you know, for her to be pregnant is biologically impossible. But as we, as we go through the story, we find that what's impossible with man is, is possible with God. Is there a sense then that you would see, and I, I don't want to go into the what does this text mean to you rabbit hole, but I do want to say is barrenness then more than simply a, scripturally speaking, is barrenness more than just a woman not being able to bear children? Is it a symbol, a greater symbol? Well, I think it can be for us personally. Um, I okay. think I think there are times uh, now... I don't want to dismiss people who are who are struggling with infertility at, at all, because um, you know that's something that's something my wife and I we struggle with as well. So I don't want to dismiss that for people. But um, I think there are times in our lives where we feel like we're spiritually barren. We feel like uh-huh. we're mentally barren. Um, we feel like everything everything we touch shrivels up and dies. Whether it's uh-huh. jobs, relationships, everything we put our hands to just rots and we were thinking god what what do you want me to do i keep going from job to job i keep going from relationship to relationship i keep going from church to church everything just is crumbling around me what am i doing Uh wrong and it might not be that we're doing anything wrong we're just in a season of barrenness and Uh i think and, and i think we need to understand that god can and does often speak to us through those times um, so, you know, you look at, uh, you look at the prophet Elijah, for example, um, he, he was instructed that God would provide for him during a time in Israel where they were all suffering from drought and there was a food shortage and God told Elijah, go to the river brook and I'll, I'll send a raven to feed you. And then when the raven stopped coming, God sent him to, uh, a, a Gentile woman, um, and she our lesson last week that time yes mm-hmm. yeah and so you know god has a way of providing for us during those times when we 
feel barren and feel like everything is shriveling up and dying in front of us. Yeah. I think it's important for us to recognize that during those times of barrenness that God is working and his plan will ultimately come to fruition, but it's in his timing. It's not in our timing. Uh, you know, you said before that some scholars believe Elizabeth was 88 when she conceived John the Baptist. You know, how many years did she pray for a child? Uh, same if we look at Abraham and Sarah. You know, Sarah was 90 when she finally had Isaac. How many years did she pray for a child to be born to her and her husband Abraham? But ultimately, God's plan is worked out when things happen according to his timing and not ours. And that's something that we need to recognize that even if we are in that moment of barrenness, that we need to continue trusting and having that faith in God that we're going to come through the other side. And that's hard to do when you're in the middle of the wilderness. And that's hard to do when you're struggling with infertility. But just knowing that that God's going to be with you. I think that's really an important thing for us to recognize. Sure. I, and and I'll, I'll say this, the way you frame that, and I, I do think the point of some of these barrenness stories and then all of a sudden women being able to bear children and, and the Hebrews being slaves for 400 years, then all of a sudden triumphing and coming out. Sometimes God gets to the point to, to where only he could have done this. And, yes. and therefore your life, you know, has been saved by the grace of God and nothing else, nothing within you, nothing outside of you. It's God and God alone. Uh, yes. Do these things. Let, let me share something real quick. I, I, I do not recommend this at all. Um, Good. But Go ahead. One, let's, let's share it. <laughs> <laughs> I do not recommend this at all. But several years ago, I was at the end of my rope. And, um, and I was very depressed and I was at a, a job I hated and I was at a time in my life where I just felt like I was doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same results. And I felt, I felt dry and I didn't think I was ever going to get out of that place in my life. Mm -hmm. And I had, uh, I had my Bible on the dashboard of my car. And I was actually weeping in the in the parking lot of Walmart. I I was just done. You know, I you know I looked. I didn't look any weirder than anybody else who cries in their car at Walmart. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I was just done. And I grabbed my Bible and I played Bible Roulette. If you don't know what Bible roulette is, it's where you skim through your Bible and land on a verse and just pray that God speaks to you through that verse. And again, I don't recommend that. It, it that's how you get bad theology. You know, that's um, that's how you get ideas like Judas went and hung himself. Go and do likewise. Um, right. <laughs> right. But but I grabbed my Bible and played Bible roulette, and I said, God, this is your word. I need to know that you're doing something. And my Bible turned open to Deuteronomy chapter two, um, verse three. And the, and the words were, you have skirted around this mountain long enough. Mm. Mm. Were you struggling uh, with your calling at that point in your life? I was in a way because I didn't know what God wanted me to do. Um, I always felt the call to ministry and I didn't think it was ever going to happen because um, 
I, I couldn't afford education. I still can't afford education. Um, I knew I felt called to ministry, but no one was open. There were no doors open for me to preach. I felt called to plant a church. There was no, there was no open doors to plant a church and I was stuck. I didn't know where to go. And, and then I read that verse, you have skirted around this mountain long enough. And I want to say mm. that right after I read that verse, things started turning around. They didn't. It took a while. It, it took two or three years. So did that um, serve as like a stream in the desert, so to speak? Yes. Absolutely. It was a stream in the desert. Amen. Amen. Um, Becky, did you have anything on the... Uh... I did, and it, and it kind of plays right into what Logan was saying. Uh, there's a line in here that Logan wrote, says, by doing precisely the opposite of what you might expect an all-knowing, all-powerful deity to do is how he casts down the proud and lifts up the humble. Um, you know, God works in surprising and amazing ways sometimes in Bible roulette. <laughs> God <laughs> speaks to us in profound ways. Um, but I think the point of this was is that God works in ways that we don't understand, uh, that we can't comprehend and is completely opposite of what in a human value we would expect a God to work. Um, we always expect, I think the, the more powerful people are the ones that do that, the elevation and God always works on the humble people. Um, God always elevates from the bottom with people that you don't expect to be elevated, that you don't expect to have profound wisdom. Um, and it's yet, it's those people um, that he, that he utilizes and in circumstances when you're weeping in a Walmart parking lot and um, that he uses to build character and to make you who you are as a declarer of his word. Mm. I think I would, I'll uh, at least jump in on that. If you, if you really want to get even deeper, if you're studying at home, what Becky just said was the point of the Magnificat or, or Hannah's song, right? Like they echo one another and it's that the Lord brings down the proud, but he exalts the humble. And he does the, God does those um, paradigm shifting things. And it's mm -hmm. proven in the birth of Samuel and it's proven in the birth of, God become flesh and the Messiah and so on. So uh, there's something that y'all can study on a little deeper if you want to. Um, I think then we'll go on to the uh, learning from the scripture section. Um, and I, I told them before we got on, I, I think the I think we need to come to terms with, with Mary. Uh, like, and my Facebook page is filled to the brim. You would think C.S. Lewis was God <laughs> because you <laughs> quote C.S. Lewis and then you see what C.S. Lewis, Lewis like I can't go two hours without seeing somebody but if you say something along the lines of how great Mary is then then you will be accused of being Catholic and that there's got to be and I'm thinking no this this woman bore our savior and now whatever theology that comes out with she mothered our savior and so we form. In the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, we really need to do. We really need to develop some Mariology. Um, even you know, I don't think we should go around. I don't think we should see Mary as an intercessor the way our, our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters do. Uh, but I do think we need to develop a theology um, 
that kind of identifies who Mary is um, in relation to us uh, and who we are in, in relation to her and who she is in relation to Jesus. Because like we, we get it, Mother's Jesus, uh, Mary is the mother of Jesus, but that's about as far as our ideas about Mary go. And I think we can be, and I think we can go a little farther than that without going into heretical territory. Yeah, I, I just want to point out, I like the quotes that you have in the, in the lesson uh, with Martin Luther and Zwingli and, and all the reformers. Like, they felt free well, enough to think high thoughts of Mary. <laughs> well, you should like those quotes since you sent me to the website that had those. <laughs> nice. But yeah, I mean, like, uh, like you know, some of this we just go too far. We we will spend like I've heard personally been to where like the sermon around Advent is is about how Mary is not our intercessor. Which fine, I get that. But like, but what is she? <laughs> she might be the only character in Scripture that is defined by one song, and what she's not. <laughs> Right, and the one song didn't even come around until like 1980 or 90-something. That, and then the other thing that I think we, we miss is uh, a lot of times Mary simply becomes one of those moral examples mm. instead mm. of an yeah. instrument that God used to pour grace out, right? So yes. I that preached in which we should be like Mary who did this, this, or this. But wait, Mary was crucial we'll talk about john the baptist pretty easy too like how great his ministry was and how among yeah. men has not been more than one greater than john the baptist but but i do think when we think about the role of mary in the in the narrative of god she was a super important person uh absolutely example but some some worthy to be thought about deeper yeah I think, Logan, you point out so many times in this lesson, Mary's humility and willingness to serve. Um, you know, Zechariah had his mouth shut for a good nine plus months uh, because he doubted what Gabriel that poor was telling man. him. <laughs> Having to listen to Elizabeth the whole time and not able to say anything back. I, I wasn't going to say anything about that. <laughs> I think Elizabeth probably had a nice pregnancy personally, just from, you know, my perspective. Um, <laughs> but Mary's humbleness and willingness, she didn't question. I mean, she did wonder. She pondered about these things. She logically thought through these things. But then she accepted the role that God had handed her and was willing to do no matter what the social circumstances were, because God asked her, God said, you're going to, you're going to bear the savior. I mean, for a 14 year old, can you, that is profound. And we need to recognize just what an amazing human being she was. Yeah. That, and then God did it. God did something amazing in her and yeah. God will do amazing things in us. And that's, that's an important part of that story that, God's amazing, you know. God is amazing. Uh, one of the things I quote is from I, I think it's uh, I can't remember if this is a Zwing, is if this is a Zwingli quote or if this is actually something I came up with. <laughs> but um, but one of the, in the discussion question, if we're supposed to love everyone and everything that our Lord loves, then uh, then we should also love His mother just as He did. Yeah. 
why do you think so few Protestants hold Mary in high regard today? Um, you know, I'll go. I've shared this with y'all before we came on here. It's because we're afraid of being called Catholic. I, mm-hmm. That for me, I mean, that's the whole thing. It's just there's this absolutely. We spent so much time. I mean, and John Calvin was part of it in the sense of he spent like I think every other paragraph talking about how bad the Pope was in in most of his books. And so you know, we received yeah. some of the tradition, but even John Calvin had a profound respect and understanding and knowledge of Mary. So um, anyway, yeah, I mean, there were even there. I, I mean, even though they couldn't, even though they didn't like the Pope at that point during you know during the Reformation and. You know, they thought the Pope was ugly and his mother dressed him funny, but uh, they still loved Mary. And even some of the early Protestant reformers even still held to the assumption of Mary, which is crazy. Like uh, for those of you who aren't aware, the the doctrine of the assumption of Mary is a Roman Catholic belief that whenever she died, Jesus came down and assumed her body into heaven. Now, I, I don't know if I believe that. And as Protestants, we typically don't believe that. Um, but to say, but whenever you think about how the, some of the Protestant reformers still held to that idea, even though they were breaking away from the church is profound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were vehemently not Catholic in a lot of ways, but they never had a problem with a lot of the American stuff. They did have some, like right. some of it they did, but anyway, um, what, what has been your experience? You have not been, um, ordained a really long time, Becky. Um, mm-hmm. Have you had any, I mean, how have you handled uh, Mary in your church? I mean, what, what have you felt comfortable with or what do you wish you had done or just what is your experience during this time of year? I, yeah, you know, I, I think I kind of fall in that category of, of a lot of other pastors that we don't, I personally have not dove into a whole lot of Mary theology um, coming from personally a a Catholic background um, and then Church of Christ background, I had very two very far apart dichotomies um, of my own personal experience, but then recognizing um, who makes up my congregations and just what you can approach at what time I have chose at this point not to approach that any more heavily than I already have. I got you. Yeah, and it's something, but there is some there is some fruit there to be gained in in absolutely more about about Mary and and I would encourage and I have in the past I've encouraged some of my congregation to go read the original reformers like the reasons why we're sitting here read what they said about Mary and, mm-hmm. because they they didn't they wrote a lot uh, about it and so I always feel comfortable saying hey go read some of that because you'll be enriched. I mean, it's, it's an enriching subject. Um, all right. Anybody got anything else you want to throw on that? Not on that one. All right. So that I think I'm good there. Are applying the scripture, right? And uh, mm-hmm. so on Facebook this week, I put out uh, this reflection uh, that, you, that you see at, at the applying the scripture. And we did have someone comment. And so I would like to read that if... Um, Y'all would bear with me because mm-hmm. I'm really hoping that uh, many of y'all will take the time to interact with one another with these things and make the encounter even more communal and, and stronger in this way. So to answer that, recall a time in your life when someone pointed you to Christ to help you through a time of suffering. And then uh, Rachel from Paducah, Kentucky shares, 
It seems trivial, but at the time I was hurt and incredibly sad. My mom told me to make a list of attributes that I wanted in my husband and to pray for it. This was right after a 10-year relationship fell apart in a terrible way. I did it, and I put some 100% non-negotiable things and some absolutely ridiculous things on my list. Then I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. It took six years, but God gave me that husband I prayed for, and he met all the important criteria and even some of the ridiculous. Mike Jones drives me crazy sometimes, but I have no doubt he was uh, sent from God. Amen. Know, I'm pretty sure that's he beautiful. Was God. And and I know Rachel's mother is one of those uh, you would say heroes of faith mamas, and she was you know always pointing to Jesus, always pointing to Jesus, and so. Um, Thank you, Rachel, for putting that in. And again, I look forward to it. You'll see those throughout the week. Uh, so if y'all would like to participate, um, I'm hoping to highlight one one answer each week. And so anyway, all right, I'm going to let y'all have it at that point. What, uh, uh, Logan, what, what were you shooting for or what were you thinking about there? Well, I opened up with this quote from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, the incarnation is the ultimate reason why the service of God cannot be divorced from the service of man. Um. And Bonhoeffer is is beautiful, and he's one of those guys where you got to read him a little bit and think a little bit. Read him a little bit and think a little bit. And so what Bonhoeffer says here is very important, and I think it gets at the heart of what we need to understand when we talk about um, why God came to earth as a man. Um, so whenever Bonhoeffer talks about the incarnation, he says that, you know, the ser the service of God, God shows us what he intends to do in his relationship to us. And then what we need to do is reflect that. So as we study the life of Christ and look over the life of Christ, we need to figure out how we can imitate Christ for the world. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most profound ways and one of the best ways we can start to do that is to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Mm -hmm. Read that, read it again, Read it until it lands on your bones and you can't do anything but use that as a motivation for how you think and act around others. And I'm preaching, mm -hmm. I'm preaching myself here. I, you know, I, I need this just as much as I'm, I'm telling it to y'all. Mm -hmm. And so the, I think the incarnation needs to be examined from a standpoint of, of service. Um, so God sees humanity. Humanity is dying in sin. Humanity is suffering. And there's condemnation, there's guilt. Uh, I, I even reference Ezekiel chapter 18. If you're, if you're teaching this lesson, then I encourage you to read Ezekiel 18 and compare that to what Paul says about sin in, in Romans 3, 4, 5, and 6. Um, and uh, Ezekiel, he says, the, the soul that sin shall die. I think I'm, I'm quoting from the New Revised Standard in the lesson, so it says the person who sins shall die. But I'm, I was raised King James only, so the soul that sins shall die. And <laughs> uh, so what could, what could possibly stop the cycle of sin and death? What could stop this cycle of condemnation? Jesus, the incarnation, God, God coming and tabernacling among us. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm getting ready to preach. <laughs> 
And so that, you know, that that's what stops the big cycle of sin and death and condemnation is Jesus comes to live where we are. He takes our sin upon himself. He goes to cross. He goes to the cross and he absorbs the wrath of God on our behalf for you theology nerds. That's penal substitutionary atonement. And he takes our wrath and we take his righteousness. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, what is it? Hands on whoever it was. He becomes what we were so that we can become what he is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Good stuff, my friends. Becky, did you mm-hmm. have to add to that part? No, that was an amazing and beautiful moment to end this discussion on. It's it's Jesus, man. It's all about Jesus. All right. So we're going to depart. Uh, Logan, uh, remember, he has a podcast. Uh, you can find it's the Monday morning megaphone. I think anchor is it anchor.com. Is that uh, anchor.fm? Uh, you can also find it on Spotify and uh, iTunes and pretty much Radio Public and just about anywhere else where you can find podcasts. All right. And then, Reverend Becky, you have the, the bi weekly devotional. Yep. Yeah. Welcome to my porch, Mondays and Fridays. You can find that on my YouTube channel, Rebecca Zardi. All right. And then so my hope is if everybody's feeling well and, and all things don't go simply crazy from Christmas and, and other things or whatnot, um, we're, we're, I hope all three of us will be able to be together again uh, for the December 27th lesson. Uh, that'll be Luke chapter two. We've entitled that the salvation of Israel. And so that's what we're going to go with. Again, remember, if you want, if you would like to participate, um, when I put up those Facebook uh, questions of the week or whatnot, or reflections, just um, add that in there, and and then we can. We really want to make this encounter the best community study that we can possibly make it. So much so that the Baptist will come to us for Christian <laughs> education resources. Um, it's really funny you should say that because I have a free will Baptist pastor friend who's thinking about getting the encounter for his yeah, church. Well, it's not a thought; he should do it. And so. <laughs> God bless y'all guys, and thank you very, bless you very too. much. Thank you.